the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Frank Sontag Show. Steve Arterburn here filling in again. I'll be here all week. Glad you're with me here, and I hope you're having a great day today. It is a, it's a tough time. It's a confusing time. And I, uh, I, I'll just make a comment here. I've got some other things I want to talk to you about. But has there ever been a time where parents like me, you, I've got a 12-year-old, 14-year-old, Uh, I've never come across a more soul-searching time as to whether or not my kids ought to be in public school or homeschooled or in a Christian school. I mean, there are a lot of reasons uh, to think about it. I've never seen so much um, just anti-Christian stuff that's being thrown at our kids at a very, very early age. It's all across this country. And uh, I don't know, I'm just, uh, if you're thinking, man, I need to do something. Well, you're not alone. And there's, you know, all these different options and who knows what's going to happen. Seems like we've got the pandemic kind of heating up again. But I would really look into homeschooling or Christian school or something. Because I'm telling you, it is it is not not good out there in in a lot of different places, a lot of places. Well, I want to I, I want to start by uh, giving you a little quiz here, and uh, a tongue in cheek quiz. I deal with people with problems on New Life Live every day, uh, right here on this station. And uh, so, how do you know that you've got a problem? Well, you know, if your children love their grandparents. Because both grandparents and your kids have a common enemy, and it's you. That is an indication that maybe you need to take a second look at at what you're doing. Or if mood swings are the only source of exercise you're getting, that that's reason to kind of rethink your life. Maybe you need to get some help. Uh, or you ask people to be patient, and when they tell you something, uh, you you need time to overreact, and you want them to... Be patient till you figure out how you're going to react. Or people tell you that you overthink everything and you just can't stop thinking about it uh, and, and, and wish they'd never said it. Or uh, life is just one awkward moment after another separated by snacks. Or your, your spirit animal it has rabies. Or you think it's rude when people talk to you while you're texting. Or perhaps... Um, There are a lot of things that are best left unsaid. You say them anyway. All of these things, all of these, including if you're single, a lot of people saying to you, hey, it's not you, it's me, and and they're not dating you anymore. All these things are indications that maybe we could get, or it's time for a change or a little bit of help. Listen to this quote. Jesmond West said this, A religious awakening which does not awaken the sleep to love has roused the person in vain. It really is all about love. 
When when I go see a counselor, and I do it every week because, um, well, some people say I should go twice a week. I believe in counseling. I believe in having uh, a person being a consultant on my life. But there are two things we're always dealing with. Am I loving well, and are my motives right? It's really important. And uh, when we when we look at how we're supposed to love, the way Jesus loved, the sacrificial love, you know, a lot of the petty stuff that we can focus on, we we just don't deal with because it's about us loving, not somebody else meeting every one of our needs. And, of course, we can go the other direction and we can become uh, so people-pleasing and meeting other people's needs that it's unhealthy. But I'm not talking about that. Well, the thing that I want to talk to you the most is about a program that has helped so many people turn their life around. And I'm talking about life recovery. And I want to tell you, give you a little bit of a history. Uh, Dave Stoop and I both submitted proposals to Tyndale House at the same time for the Life Recovery Bible to be produced. Now, this was a Bible that Tyndale thought they'd, they'd publish about 100,000 for uh, drug addicts, alcoholics, people that were really struggling. And they thought that would be a good thing. Well, when they agreed to do it, somebody in the room said, well, call Steve. And the other people said, Steve, call Dave. They didn't know that some people were dealing with Dave's proposal, some mine. And so they called us and asked if we would do it together. Well, we were writing together. We'd already been partners together. And so, of course, we did. And because of that, uh, there are now three million Life Recovery Bibles out there. Uh, which is is a phenomenon. I mean, it's just amazing. And uh, Prison Fellowship gives away about uh, 100,000 of these Bibles to any prisoner that wants them, about 100,000 every nine months. Uh, It's a pew Bible at uh, many of the Salvation Army locations. And every month, I think, for probably 15, 17 years, it's been on the the Bible best-selling list. It's not just on the list. I mean, it's up there usually in the top ten and sometimes in the top three. If you've never seen one of these Bibles, um, you know, you could find out about it. Uh, You could just put a request in at kkla.com forward slash new life. But it really is amazing. If you had a recovering friend and they don't know that there's a Bible that integrates those 12 steps uh, together, they will be thrilled. I mean, even... Folks that don't go to church, they're not Christians, they love this Bible. So I want to talk to you about uh, 12 steps, 12 steps for everybody. I don't think the 12 steps are just for uh, drug addicts and alcoholics. My experience is that these biblical biblical um, concepts and principles are for anyone, 12 steps for anybody. So I want to talk to you about that. Now, some people would say, I just need one step. And that's accepting Christ. Well, that isn't true. You don't need just one step. You need more than one step. Because after you accept Christ, there's work to be done. You're not, I mean, even if you're delivered, who is delivered into instant character or Christian or spiritual maturity? Nobody. It just doesn't happen. It's not part of the deal. Everybody needs to grow. 
And this is a great growth program. These 12 steps, I'm going to go through them and just show you how biblical they are and how they can lead you to grow. So if you don't like these 12 steps, pick some other steps. But you need to be in a growth program. You need to have a discipleship plan. And one of the reasons so many folks are weak in the faith or they fall away from the Lord after an amazing transformation experience is because they're not discipled or they don't have a plan or they think it's all about that one decision. That's just the beginning. It's not the end of transformation. So I really believe that these 12 steps are a great, wonderful discipleship and growth program. Some people would say, well, you know, all I need is God and my Bible. That's it. And I'm growing and it's just God and me. Well, um, I, I think you need more than God and the Bible. And if you are reading the Bible, the Bible indicates that you need more than that. It indicates, or the Bible tells us, uh, that we, we need to never, ever stop meeting together with other people. And it, mean, and it tells us that we need to confess our sins openly to one another. So there's no... There's no just me, God, in the Bible. I don't know how many one another verses there are, but there are a lot. In fact, you know, God has given you gifts, strengths, talents, all sorts of things. Why did he do it? Because he wants you to be part of the body of Christ, and he wants you to use those to strengthen the body of Christ, the church. So how are you going to do that if you're not involved in the church? Well, maybe you're not involved in the church because you were involved in an unhealthy church, but not all churches are unhealthy. There's some really great, great churches. Now, um, when Dr. Bob and Bill W. put these um, 12 steps together, in fact, uh, the last time Dr. Bob ever spoke, I got a copy of a transcript from that last speech that he made. And he said this, he said, we got them, talking about the 12 steps, we got them from the good book. Not the big book. There was no big book. But he said, we got them from the good book, especially the Sermon on the Mount. And, and there he was really talking about the Beatitudes. The book of James. And if you look at these 12 steps and you know the book of James, you know how close they are. And the first, the book, uh, the, uh, the chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And uh, he said, this is where these 12 steps uh, came from. And these 12 steps can help anybody overcome anything that's standing in their way of loving well. And that really ought to be the question that we, we need to be asking. Is there something in my life that's preventing me from loving well? Or are my motives for doing loving things something else? Are they manipulative? Are they looking for some kind of result to happen? Or am I just loving for the right motive? Now, uh, a lot of people have heard about the 12 steps, but you've never really uh, gone through them or know what they're all about. So I thought, well, since we're, we're here, that it would be great to go through them, show you what they're all about, and give you the scriptures that really support what's been done here. Um, you know, in the in the history of AA, there were some uh, amazing things happening out of Akron, Ohio. And in fact, 
they were doing something. It would be like if you heard in Akron, Ohio, everybody that had cancer was getting healed and, and nobody of some particular type of cancer had ever been healed before. Well, that's what was happening. And so uh, Rockefeller, the world's richest man, sent his son down there to find out what in the world's going on. How are these alcoholics getting sober? Well, they're getting sober together, and they're, um, they're having a spiritual experience, a spiritual awakening, you could say. And um, in the beginning, it was all about Jesus. It was all about finding Jesus. Dr. Bob, when you came to him and said, I need help, he'd take you up in the upper room, get you on your knees, and have you accept Christ. Christ was in the original thinking of and the practice of those original 12 steps. Well, here's the first step. It says this, we admitted that we were powerless over our problems and that our lives had become unmanageable. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's that's ridiculous. Uh, you're not powerless over your elbow to drink. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about drinking. We're talking about stopping the drinking or stopping the drug or stopping that habit or stopping that thinking pattern that is so destructive or that way of communicating saying that you're powerless doesn't mean you're helpless it means that in and of myself i do not possess on my own the power to do this i've tried it many times and as a result my life well it's become unmanageable paul he reflects this powerless thought when he says I know that nothing good lives in me. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Now, I I think that that's Paul, who had met Jesus face to face. I think that was him saying, in and of himself, without something helping, which was the power of the Holy Spirit, I can't do the things that I know I need to do, the things that I want to do, to be a better person. And so uh, I may be powerless, but I'm not helpless. You know, for me personally, I, I had to come to a place where I admitted that I didn't drink like everybody else. I, um, I got to tell you, I was um, friends with the great pitcher, Don Sutton. And uh, Don, <laughs> he and I would go to dinner And we would drink a bottle of wine. And I thought it was, uh, I can still tell you, it was made by the Jordan Vineyards there in in, uh, California. And I can still remember that. And and pretty soon for me, uh, half of a bottle became a bottle and then one bottle became two. Well, I had started working with alcoholics back in 1977, my first job. And... When I started working with them, all the things that I thought I knew about alcoholics were wrong. And I'd heard about, oh, weak or all this kind of stuff or spiritually lost. But I found that alcoholics only have one thing in common. And I've, I've been talking to a lot of people about this for years. I'll have a psychologist or a pastor or somebody argue this, but I, I don't have any alcoholics disagree. And that's this. The one thing that all alcoholics have in common is a high tolerance for alcohol. That's why you're alcoholic. You get addicted to it because you can drink so much of it. 
Now, the, the advantage of believing what I have found out is that what I'm saying is your body reacts differently. Your tolerance goes up, or some people it starts from the beginning, and if that's true, then you're never going to get spiritually or emotionally or psychologically strong enough to drink again because that has nothing to do with the addiction. Your body got addicted because it drank so much. It's never going to be unaddicted, so you need to stop drinking. So I, I one day I said, okay, I've had my share, and I quit. haven't had a drink ever since. So that was the beginning. And it was simply, it, you know, a lot of people that are alcoholics think, man, you didn't get any kind of drunk driving or nobody said you got to quit or I'm going to leave you. No, they didn't. But I stopped. And um, it's so wonderful to not just stop something, but to start working with other people in the beginning and uh, seeing the insight that they have. Uh, back at that time, you know, I lived in Laguna Beach. I... Um, Dale Walters and I, we'd go to these great Al-Anon meetings. There were some of the pioneers of AA still hanging around there. It was it was an amazing time. But uh, if I'm making someone miserable, I don't have to make someone miserable anymore. If I'm doing something in excess, I don't have to do that anymore. If I begin to do this, and that's what powerlessness is all about, is to surrender. Rather than trying hard, which just makes trying harder, I just admit I've got a colossal limitation that I cannot overcome. If you think you are in control of everything, raise a teenager or two, and then you'll be convinced that there are certain things in this life that you are not going to have power over. All right, so that's surrender. I mean, that's that's saying I can't do this, and I'm going to quit trying the way I've been trying, whether it is an eating problem or it's an anger problem, fear, depression, whatever it is, I need to admit I'm not doing well at solving this on my own. Second step is to come to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you to sanity. I mean, you you do these crazy things when you're trying hard on your own and failing all the time, and, and it's like being insane when when you're trying to get that same result from the same old thing and it never never works and and people look at this and they say what's this power greater than ourselves we ought to be talking about jesus well here's what i found in the christian faith there are a lot of people that believe in jesus and they're going to go to heaven because they believe in jesus but they've never made jesus their higher power Their ego is still in control, or their heritage, or their church, or denomination, their family, or self-will, or whatever. Those are the things that are most powerful in their life. And God is waiting for a lot of Christians to make him the highest power in their life. And so, it's a great place to start. Do I truly allow God to be the highest power in my life? Philippians 2.13 says, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And that's where we want our power to come from. Whether it's lust, control, anger, whatever, well, we're limited. But realizing we're limited and God 
isn't really is the new beginning. We'll talk about this more right after this. You're listening to Steve Arterburn here, and we'll be back after a very, very short break. Steve Arterburn here. Thank you for hanging in there. And I want to mention, uh, we're talking about life recovery, 12 steps here. We're doing a uh, life recovery conference on September the 25th. September 25th, if you're interested in that, you go to kkla.com forward slash new life. You can also find out about all the other things that we do at New Life, including the program right here, live uh, call-in program that we do every weekday in the middle of the day. Now, uh, if you have a question or a comment about what I'm talking about, recovery, 12 steps, things like that, you could uh, call 888-52-TALKS, 888-52-TALKS. But um, I, I told you about these uh, first two steps, but th- the third one is this, is that, and it's the true act of surrender. It's when we made a decision to turn our wills and our lives over to the care of God. And it says this, as we understood him. And people say, well, I, that doesn't, that's not good. As we, I, you know what? I think it is good. You know why? Because a lot of people that end up in an addiction, and I'll tell you, fentanyl just rips lives apart as fast as you could possibly imagine, or faster. They get so down on themselves, and they feel so much shame, they, they have a distorted image of God. They think that God wants to hurt them or punish them. My understanding of God in the beginning is if I sin, you know, he, he'd take my leg away or something like that. Well... I understand him to be different today. So when someone says, I'm going to trust God as I understand him, I don't think our understanding is full. You know, I I was pretty gullible. I used to think that when I, if I was a liar, my pants actually would catch on fire. So I, I saw God in a lot of different ways. So when it says, as we understood him, I think that's just admitting that not everybody understands who God really is. I thought he was angry. Now I understand that he's full of grace and mercy. There's a, a wonderful verse that says God is rich in mercy. And so that's why we want people to move from their understanding in life recovery to the understanding we have, which is the Holy Trinity, God, the Father, and the, and the Holy Spirit. In uh, Romans 12, 1, it says, Brothers and sisters, I plead you to give your bodies to God. Because all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that will that he will find acceptable. So we might have to, for the sake of God, for the sake of our body, we might have to sacrifice some things that we like to put in our bodies, food, alcohol, drugs, whatever. And when we do, uh, it, it really is a way of saying to God, I believe in you, I trust you. Trust you enough to do some things that I'm uncomfortable with. And, you know, when it comes to so many things, let's just say uh, someone loves to drink and they're alcoholic. Well, you can do that, but eventually you have to give up everything else. It destroys everything. Or you give up one thing and you can keep everything else. So you can give up one thing and keep everything else. Or you can keep one thing and watch everything else go away. 
William James, uh, I think probably the, the first person I ever studied in studying psychology and counseling, he was the father of American psychology. And uh, Bill Wilson, the founder of AA, had a spiritual experience, he says it. And in one place I read, he said, I, I found religion. Another place he says, I found Jesus. But he read this book by William James, very famous book, The Varieties of Religious Experience. And in there, William James said this, all religion begins with the cry for help. And so that is really the foundation for the beginning of recovery is when we finally say, I I can't do this, God can, and I'm going to let him. Help me, God, to do it. That is true surrender. And you can be aware you've got a problem. You can want that problem to go away. But until you're willing to do whatever it takes, whatever's called for, then you're just aware and you're wanting. But willingness is where it all happens. Well, then, after we've done that, we need to know what we're going to work on. So, step four is we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So, here we're looking for what is causing my misery and my discomfort. And a lot of us are blind to everything that's a problem in our lives. Sometimes it, it is literally uh, our unwillingness to see ourselves. Other times, you know, we have some kind of emotional problem or we're, we've been abused and we're just protecting ourselves from any further shutdown or shame. But when we start to look at ourselves and we accept the full reality of our brokenness, when we look at the resentments and the fears that we're holding on to, boy, we can start to resolve some things that have never been resolved. One of the greatest quotes I've ever heard is on page 114 of the big book. And that says this, Bill W. wrote this, Acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. When I am disturbed, it's because I find some person, some place, some thing or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Unless I accept my life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Well, now that's accepting responsibility. That's not blaming. That's not projecting. Lamentations 3.40 says, Let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. That's what it says. And so if we see the truth about ourselves, then we can, we can turn away from that and turn back to God, who is the author of all truth. So we do the inventory. What are those defects, deficiencies, things that need to be worked on? And then in step five, we admit to God and to ourselves and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And that comes right out of James five sixteen. Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Very biblical concept. We were doing a, um, a workshop uh, down in San Juan Capistrano when um, the Crystal Cathedral owned uh, that little piece of land down there, great retreat place. And um, 
we were doing a workshop, and I think it was on uh, something like Lose Your Life or whatever. An 89-year-old woman was there, and she said, I want to tell you something that I've never told anybody. She'd had this secret all her life. I said, okay, I, I, would, I really want to hear it. And so she said to me what she had never told anybody else, that when she got married some 60-some-odd years ago, when she got married, she was already pregnant with her first son, and she had lived with the shame of that all her life. Now, I got to tell you, um, to me, that that person isn't someone that should be ashamed. That's a hero. I mean, the, she brought that child into this world rather than have an abortion. Just like um, 30 years ago, this young couple, 16, decided they weren't going to have an abortion and, and they had a little girl. And I got to adopt her, Madeline. What a gift. Oh, my goodness. And here's the thing. Madeline's birth father, 16, comes over to the hotel room at 16 and sits there, I think, probably five hours, four or five hours, to be sure we would be the right parents for his little girl. Isn't that something? Now, that's courage. And um, what a gift. So when she told me this, well, I saw her as a hero. And I talked to her about that, that she could have tried to look good. It's happened before. People have had an abortion just so they wouldn't be pregnant when they got married. The next day she came back. She was 89 years old, but the next day she literally looked like she had lost about 10 years because the weight of that secret had been taken away. And I really think that we really do get sick in our secrets. And it's a huge step into an authentic life when we start to open up. And many times it's the beginning of some relief from depression or obsession or something like that. And we start to experience God's grace just by opening up. Well, sixth step is you is a step just to get ready for God to remove all those defects of character. And one of the reasons that you have to have a whole step to get ready is that if you were entirely ready, you would have asked God to do it already. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. And so we get ready for God to do what only God can do. And God will help us do it. God says, when you seek me, I will be found by you. And if we're looking for a better way to love, that's what God can help us do. If we're ready to give up self-soothing things to eternal things, if we're looking to live better, love better one day, one foot in front of the other at a time, that's what God wants to do. And that's what the... That's what the sixth step is all about, just getting ready for God to do it, looking at our lives and seeing what things need to be changed or made better. If you uh, want a copy of what I'm talking about here, you can go to kkla.com forward slash new life. If you want to talk to me, you can give us a call at 888-52-TALKS. We'll take a break, come back for a final segment. Right after this, Steve Arterburn here, really glad to be with you.
Steve Arterman here reminding you we do have a life recovery, Christian recovery conference, September 25th. You can find out about that, kkla.com forward slash new life. I was just texting Max Lucado. He had uh, he had COVID really badly, uh, but he's out of the woods, he said. Uh, but he and I did a perspective on fearless living. You can get that. I'll send it to you free if you go to kkla.com forward slash new life. Or there are 10 tips on living free from fear. Uh, that's available there. You can also find about find out about the last book I did with uh, Dave Stoop, The Soul of a Hero. And uh, I think it's a good one. One of the better ones that we spent five years working on. It better be good. The Soul of a Hero, Dave Stoop and I wrote that. Going through these, uh, these wonderful steps here, and I'll get through all of them here in the next uh, few minutes. But the uh, seventh step is humbly, humbly asking God to remove the shortcomings. And First uh, John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. You know, we, we need to never wait for God to do what God's waiting for us to do. Sometimes we want God to perform a miracle rather than do the stuff that we need to do. And when we say, uh, Lord, help me overcome this stuff, we're saying, I want to cooperate with you, God. I want to do whatever I need to do. Step eight says that we made a list of all the people we've harmed and became willing to make amends to them. My life changed dramatically when I did this. I made that list. And uh, you got to make things right with people. And you really can't love well until you've made it right. Uh, Luke 6.31 says, Do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. And, um, you know, maybe there's some adult kids that you have that don't like you. Maybe there's some people that have some things against you. Uh, Maybe it's time that you make it right. But you can't do that until you make the list. That's step eight. And then step nine is you make direct amends to those people whenever possible, except unless it would cause further problems to do it. We don't want to use that as an excuse not to do something. But here's how important it is. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, if if you're worshiping, you know, if you're one of the amazing people that's at the altar, you've got a sacrifice, uh, and, and somebody's got something against you, stop worshiping God and go be reconciled to that person. Make it right. Then come back and do your worshiping. Offer your sacrifice to God. I think that says everything. And, you know, maybe you're with somebody and they're 80% of the problem and you're 20%. Well, make your 20% right. Do what you need to do. It's called atonement, which means at one meant. And um, it's really amazing how easy it is to look at somebody else's percentage and not deal with our own. And it's easy to say you're sorry, but more difficult to make amends, make it right, repay what you owe. I had, I did that. And I, I got to tell you, after I did this, I've never felt so free in all my life. The tenth step says continue to take that inventory, a personal inventory, and when you're wrong, promptly admit it. Oh, my goodness. If somebody's recovering and they're not admitting they're wrong from time to time, there's something wrong with that recovery program. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. And one way to be careful to not fall is to continue to look at your life. What am I doing right? Who did I hurt? And what do I need to do 
so that I can admit promptly that I was wrong, so I can stay current with everybody. And and really, it's a it's a way to never be complacent. And um, if you're if you're a person that never says I'm sorry, or never says I regret how I handled this, or I want to ask for forgiveness, or I was wrong, then here's a part of recovery that could benefit you to make it right. The 11th step says we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. Now just think about what a great way that is to pray. God, what's, what's your will for me? And can you please give me the power to carry that will out versus us just begging God? For, and we should ask God for things, but it can be so much more than that. Colossians 4, 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And so our prayer, you know, it can, it can really be a way of communicating all day long. If you're angry and always complaining, don't. Talk to God about it. Hey, God, I, I'm really upset about this. Can you help me? Can you help me accept it? But when we start to pray and meditate and connect with God and pray uh, to know his will, when we ask for strength, and we do it all day long, we're starting to go from the physical to the spiritual and truly become a spiritually centered person. Great leaders can do this. Anybody can do it. There's no person that this wouldn't help. Devote yourselves to prayer. Twelfth step, it says, having, a, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps, we tried to carry the message to other people and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Dave and I wrote and were partners for 40 years, and we think the reason we were one of the few people that stayed together as writing partners for that long is because we really did try to practice these principles in all our affairs. I think it was a lot easier for me than him to do that because he had to work with me. Oh, man, he was such a great man. I miss him greatly. Galatians 6.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you, are God, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation as yourself. What a great thing when we get our act together and then we're not obsessed with all our problems and our discomfort. And then we reach out and we try to help other people. It really does produce a transformation. What Satan ends up, what he wanted to be evil, it ends up being something good. Because now we've worked through. We are getting better. And now we're motivated to bring other people along that same path. That's what recovery is all about. It's about transformation. And you don't have to be an addict. You just have to be human to experience the transformation that can come through those 12 steps. Uh, you can get a life recovery Bible. You can find out how to do that by going to kkla.com forward slash new life. It's also there that you could find out about all the things that we're doing at New Life. We've got a, an emotional freedom workshop coming up. And uh, probably the most powerful thing that we do is our marriage intensive. It's all about intimacy. You could join us for that. But I, I can't encourage you more. Don't continue to do what you're doing if you're not loving well and if your motives are off. There are things you can do to get better. If you're interested in a, a life recovery group, 1-800-NEW-LIFE is a place 
uh, that you could call. Or if you need a counselor, 1-800-NEW-LIFE is a, is a phone number to call. We're there, and we want to help. We've got some of the most dedicated, committed people in that call center. Of course, we've got a life recovery conference coming up September the 25th. But I hope that uh, if you have any way to listen to us in the middle of the day on New Life Live, that you will do that. But here's something that I know. God is for you. And no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've slipped, and maybe you're not in some big, deep hole of sin, but you're just slipping a bit. Drift has taken hold of you. God loves you, and he hasn't abandoned you, and he wants you closer to him. He has made a place. The creator of the universe has made a place for you to be with him. So please... Humble yourself before God, and he will lift you up. I just want to mention a few things here while we've got some time. And uh, the, the place to go, kkla.com forward slash new life. If you want the free audio download, it's a CD that I recorded with Max and uh, Max Ocato. Fearless Living is the title. Then we've got a tip sheet, 10 Steps to Freedom from Fear. And, you know, coming up, we've got this great workshop, and our workshops are really different. This one's online, but we still use counselors, Christian counselors, to work with us. And you hear us speak, and it'll be me, Chris Williams, and some other folks. And then you go into a group, and you do the work. You you start dealing with those uh, things that cause that fear. It's really a great, great experience, and uh, we want you to join us. That one is on uh, August the 14th, coming right up. Every Man's Battle is also online uh, August the 7th. That's this weekend. And you could uh, be part of that. And uh, registration is closing on the 6th, so don't wait too long. But it really is amazing. You can be this guy who's just ashamed of all sorts of stuff. And then, day later, you're living a life of honor and respectability, authenticity, and you'll never be the same. It's just fantastic. Uh, One of the things I love most that New Life does is our Intimacy and Marriage Workshop. That's October 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. Would love for you to join us for that. And then uh, in Washington, D.C. in November is our uh, Restore Workshop. And Restore is for anyone that's been hurt by a person who struggles with sexual integrity. And it's really one of the most healing things that you can do. I've talked about life recovery, the life recovery Bible, and we're doing a workshop. Uh, Actually, it's just a conference, life recovery conference. Great for people that are leading groups or want to learn how to lead groups. It's September the 25th, and there's such a great recovery community in Sioux Falls, Idaho, that we decided we're going to go there, and we're going to do it there with them. And we'd love for you to join us, and you can Call 1-800-NEW-LIFE about that or go to um, liferecoverygroups.com is another place that you could go. But everything that we're doing, you can find through kkla.com forward slash new life. I'd love for you to follow me on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just search for Stephen Arterburn or at Steve Arterburn. And uh, I'd love for you to join me on our radio program right here midday. New Life Live, you can call him. We've got some great, great folks who have tremendous wisdom there. In the meantime, um, God bless you. I hope that this is going to be a great, great day for you. 
And whatever you're doing, it doesn't, does not honor God except his grace for that. And change. Just change. Can't wait to be with you again real soon. Hang tight.